All right, we are in, in Joshua chapter 2. So we, we've already covered um, Joshua chapter, chapter 1. And now we're starting in Joshua chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it came about, when it was time to shut the gate at dark, that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Okay, so next week we are going to talk about the, the lie that this woman told and, and, uh, uh, and then also talk more in detail about exactly the words that went on, the interaction that she had with, the, um, with these two spies. So Joshua, the son of Nun, he sends out two spies secretly, and he, meaning that he sent them out secretly. He didn't tell the children of Israel that he was sending them. And there's an advantage to that because the last time they had sent out 12 spies 40 years earlier, there was a big problem when those 12 spies came back. Here he sent out just two. We don't know the names of the two. Uh, uh, if you read some Jewish texts of commentaries, old Jewish documents will say that it was, it was, uh, it was actually uh, Caleb and Phineas that he had sent out. But we don't know. The Bible doesn't record that. So, so we, we don't know exactly who these two men were that, that he sent out. But he said, you go and view the land, spy out the land, because it had been about 38 years since the last time the spies had gone into that land. And he says, especially Jericho, because Jericho is the, is the city that they're going to first be the first city as they, as they cross the Jordan. And, and uh, uh, just a couple of years ago, I was in Jericho. It's in Palestinian territory now. So you have to go outside the, the, the borders of Israel and into the Palestinian sector. And, and, and go there. And it used to actually be a real vacation spot for the Israelis. But when they, they, they parsed out some of the land, it became Palestinian territory and the Israelis stopped going there. And it, was a, and it really is like a paradise because what happens is you have these Judean mountains and the mountains just run right off into this, this uh, valley where Jericho is. And it's extremely plush because there's a lot of rain that ends up uh, in that valley, and that's where they grow a lot of dates and, 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 and a lot of the fruits there. Uh, and we, Shireen and I toured the, the, that wall of Jericho, where that original city is. And it's not like a big city like the city of Houston. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably, probably maybe a couple of blocks. If you, if you look at this block, a couple of blocks large. 
is, is, is the size of that city. And so the spies go into the city and they stay, they went into the house of a harlot or a prostitute named Rahab and they lodged there. And, and why would they go into the house of a prostitute? They went in as spies, they're checking out the land. Men can go into a brothel without raising real suspicion. This is, this is where, where men will often go. They would come into a city and go into, in, into that. And, and uh, they went in there and all of a sudden this, this interaction starts to take place. But this woman, Rahab, is one of the very few people in that land who was not killed on the entrance of the Israelites into that land. Now, there was one town that's going to deceive uh, that's going to end up de- deceiving Joshua and they're going to end up living, but they're going to be made slaves. But there was a command in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy, so the book before this in Deuteronomy chapter 20, there was a command that, uh, of how to deal with people in the land. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse, verse uh, 16 says, only in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. As the Lord your God has commanded you, so, they, so that they, they may not teach you to do according to their detestable things, which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord, your God. So there was a command to Moses and Moses transferred that command to, to, uh, to Joshua. The command just above the portion we just read is that anyone outside that precise territory, you can take over their nations and you can make them slaves. But if they are in that territory, you are to kill everything that breathes, everyone that breathes in those cities. You are to kill them. And his rationale was that if you don't, they're going to teach you their detestable ways where they had they child sacrifice. And he says, I don't want you learning their ways. Now, I had heard uh, uh, just recently that particularly in the age that you're in, in your college years, the people you hang out with is the people you'll end up being like. The people you hang out with is the people you'll end up being like. And as this man was telling me this, I started to think about who was most of my time spent with when I was in college and graduate school? Who were my friends? And as I thought back, interestingly enough, most of my time was spent with my pastors. My pastors became my friends. There was an assistant pastor that became a good, very good friend of mine, and then also the senior pastor. And then when I was in graduate school, I became like best friends with the senior pastor of my church. He was, he was in his mid-40s. I was in my in my early 20s, but we, we just hit it off and we were together all the time. And I just thank God for that opportunity because you end up being like who you hang out with. If you hang out with the wrong people, you'll end up doing wrong things. Paul even said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul said that. So, let's, so if we reflect back, this woman who was a prostitute, was one of the very few women that was left alive, that was freed from this curse. This was the curse upon the people that lived in that land. She was a Canaanite. She lived in that land. This was the curse that was upon people 
in that land. Yet she was able to escape from that curse. And we're going to look more at the exact things that she said last week, but I want to look at what the New Testament has to say about her. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 1. We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. Now, in genealogies, you generally follow only the man. And why do you follow only the man? Because the genealogy was transferred through the man and not the woman. And that was particularly true in the Old Testament. It was also true in the New Testament. It was only later on, hundreds of years after, some people will say two or three hundred years after the life of Jesus, some say in a thousand AD, where the rabbis switched it to the genealogy going through the woman. So if you were to go to Israel today, they would say, if your mother is a Jew, then you're a Jew. It goes by the mother. But biblically, it was never that way. That came later because so many Jewish women were being raped, they didn't know who the father was. So they ended up saying, okay, it's going to come through your mother. That is a rabbinic commandment. Scripturally, it was always through the father. In fact, Paul in the New Testament is the first one to proclaim that you can be a Jew, whether it's your mother or your father, you're a Jew. Because he says, he says, of, of, uh, he, he says of Timothy, he says to Timothy, your father was a Greek, your mother was a Jew, you need to be circumcised. So he was the first to proclaim that your Jewishness can come through your mother. And I tell this to my Jewish friends that it really wasn't the rabbis, it was Paul who first proclaimed that it was Jewishness could come through the mother. And they resent that. But it's true. He was the one who first proclaimed it. That, that Jewishness can come through the mother. In the Old Testament, it was always through the father. It came through the father. So as you read this genealogy, you will see the, this father became the father of so-and-so and his son and his son and his son. But there's a few women that he picks out here. So if you look in the genealogy of Jesus, it says in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and this is actually the genealogy going down to Joseph, the, the, the presumed father of Jesus, but not his father. His father was God. But this is following Joseph's lineage. In Luke, in, 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 uh, in Luke we have Mary's lineage. And she too came from this Davidic line. Okay, so in, in verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of, Je genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Look at this. It's just men's names, one after another. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Uh-oh. That's the first insertion of a woman's name, Tamar. First insertion, right here. Tamar was the first insertion of a woman's name, was Tamar. Why pick out Tamar? Why was T Tamar, Tamar or Tamar, so special? Why pick out Tamar of all women? You know, they never even mentioned Sarah, Abraham's wife. They never, never made mention of her. They never mentioned uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife. They, they never mentioned uh, uh, um, uh, Rachel, Jacob's wife. They never mentioned her. Why? Here they mentioned Tamar. Why Tamar? Well, let's look at Tamar. Let's look in Genesis chapter 38 and see if there's, there's anything kind of special about Tamar or Tamar. 
Genesis chapter 38. We're going to start reading from uh, verse 6. Genesis 38, verse 6. Now Judah took a wife for his son Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Whoa. Ur must have been pretty bad, because there were some pretty bad guys in the Old Testament. And, and just, just like that. We have no idea what he did. God didn't even want it recorded. Just, to, just take the guy out. Just took him out. Verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. So this was part of what later would be written. This was the natural order of things. If your older brother dies without raising up an offspring, you were to take, you were to get his wife and raise up offspring in his name. This is what, what you had to do. And, you know, I mean, it's a good thing we don't do that today. But, but, or else you'd be really concerned who your older brother married. And he, and he says, then Judas said this to Onan. And in verse 9, Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So he went into his brother's wife. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life also. So here... This was not a matter of, of Onan saying, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to raise up somebody in, in my brother's name. I mean, he wasn't a good guy. I don't want to do this for him. I mean, I want to have my own wife and raise up somebody in my own name. But he was obliged to do this. But what he did, he didn't just refuse to do it. What he did, he had sex with her and then withdrew and wasted his seed on the ground, it says. The Bible's quite explicit. And the Lord didn't like that because he did not fill his duty, yet he took advantage of the woman and he killed him too. The Lord was pretty severe. So then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So he lost two sons already on this woman, but he was obliged to give now the third son. But he said, wait until my son gets older. Now, after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to the sheep shears in Timnah, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. Okay, so what happens? Judah, the father, is married to a woman. That woman dies. After some time, that woman dies. So now he's a single man. He's going up with a friend of his. And it was told in verse 13, it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. So Sheila had now grown up. The third son had grown up and she was not given to him. So Judah did not fulfill his responsibility by committing those two together. When Judah saw her, meaning Tamar, 
He thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said to her, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, Therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, Moreover, you will, get, will you give a pledge until you send it? He said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. So she dressed herself up like a prostitute. He's walking by. She does something to hit on him. He's attracted. He sleeps with her. But before she sleeps with him, she says, what are you going to give me? You've got to give me something. You've got to pay me for this. I'm, I'm a prostitute. He says, I'll give you a goat. She says, good enough. But until you give me that goat, you've got to give me something as a pledge. He says, I don't have anything. All I, all I have is, 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 uh, is, is a seal and a cord and steps. I'll take your seal, your cord, and your staff. You bring me the goat, I'll give you this back. That was the agreement. He goes into her, and she conceives. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road in Enam? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah, and Judah said, I did not... And, 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 and he said to Judah, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said... Let her keep them, otherwise we will become a laughing stock. After all, I sent the young goat, but you did not find her. So Judah says, look, I kept my agreement. I sent the young goat. You couldn't find her. Just don't make a big deal out of it. I mean, I, I, you know, it's going to ruin my reputation. Verse 24. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And it, it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff these are. Judah recognized them and she said, and, and, recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not have relations with her again, meaning that he took her in as his wife, but he didn't have relations with her again. And it came about at that time she was giving birth and she gave birth to two sons. So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 1. So in Matthew chapter 1, we now know who Tamar is. The first woman that is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, even though this is, this is Joseph's side, Mary's side follows the same gene genealogy through to the point of Solomon. So this is all also on Mary's side. Right through to the genealogy of Jesus is Tamar. Tamar was a person who had a child through incest, through deception, acting like a harlot. She forced her father-in-law into incest. This is Tamar. This is the first woman that is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Why this of all women? Might it be because God is showing that He has a special grace upon women and a special grace upon those with some sexual disorder in their life? Might it mean this? Let's go on and look at, at, at what else it says. Judah was the father, in verse 3, of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. 
And Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boom! Second woman mentioned is Rahab, another prostitute. Of all the women to mention, you're mentioning a Gentile, not even a Jew, but a Gentile, and one who was a prostitute by trade. Of all the women that he could have mentioned, lots of good women along there he could have mentioned. He mentions another prostitute, one with a sexual disorder, he mentions. And remember, women had no legal standing in Israel. None at that time, none, no legal standing even in the time of Jesus. That may bother you, but that's the way it was. Their word meant absolutely nothing. It is actually much like a woman in Saudi Arabia today. A woman in Saudi Arabia, if she says she's raped, it means nothing. The man says, I didn't rape her. That's it. You've got to have several witnesses to that rape. Something like four men, multiple men have to witness that rape for them to take the woman's word over the, the man's word. Woman had no legal standing. Their word meant nothing. God calls out these two women in particular, both who have this sexual disorder. So, so Rahab is, so Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. So Salmon had married Rahab and they had a son named Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Who was Ruth? Well, Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a Moabite. So let's look up, up Ruth. Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 tells us about Ruth. And we learn something about her heritage. We'll learn something about Ruth's heritage here. And we'll look in, 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 in uh, Genesis chapter 19, verse 30. Genesis 19, verse 30. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Okay, so Lot flees to the mountains. His wife dies on the way. He's with his two daughters. So this is Lot, a man, with his two daughters. Remember who these two people, these are his daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and let us lie with him that he may preserve our family, that we may preserve our family through our father. I mean, imagine this. The two girls are going to get the father drunk so that the father gets so drunk he doesn't realize who he's even sleeping with. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. So he must have been pretty drunk. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she rose up. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. Their firstborn son, the firstborn a son, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. So, the birth of the Moabite nation came through incest. 
That is the birth of the Moabite nation. Lot was Abraham's nephew. The birth of that nation came through incest. That's who Ruth is. Ruth is a Moabite. She comes through a nation that was founded in incest. Again, someone with a history in her line of sexual disorder is the third person to be mentioned. Ruth. And then the next person, let's read on down. It says uh, um, in, in, uh, in verse 4, And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. So remember, uh, um, uh, Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, actually. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? Well, Bathsheba was David's wife. Well, let's look at what happened to Bathsheba. Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11. We'll see about Bathsheba. Start reading from verse 1. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman and said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived and... She sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Okay, so David's mighty men are fighting a battle. David is walking around on the roof of his house. He's not out fighting the battle. He should have been out fighting the battle. He should have been part of this. When, when men have too much time on their hands, it is only trouble. Only trouble. The man's walking around on his roof. He has several wives, several concubines. But he's getting antsy. He sees a woman. And I've been to where David's house was built. It's on the top of a hill. So when his house was built, he can look down and he can see the roof of everybody else's home. He's looking down. He sees a woman bathing on the roof of her house. You say, why is she bathing on the roof of her house? That's where they bathed. This is exactly where she should have been bathing. Because generally people don't see you on the roof of your house, except the king who has a much higher house. And the king sees her bathing... And so he calls over his associates and says, Wow, look at that woman. Who is that? Now, men know exactly what other men are thinking. Just like women know exactly what other women are thinking. They really do. You know, there have been some women when I was, when I was younger that would come and talk to me and Shireen would look at them and they'd walk away and Shireen would say, I don't like the way she looked at you. And, and she would just let me know, has that ever happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and women know what other women are thinking. Men know what other men are thinking. And he says, he says who, who, are, who, who is that woman down there? And they look and they say, oh, that's Bathsheba. And they didn't just leave it there. They said, that's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Who is Eliam? Eliam is one of David's mighty men. Read in the end of 2 Samuel and you'll see the list of David's mighty men. Eliam was one of his mighty men. Oh, one of the guys who's out there fighting right now? 
that happens to be his daughter. You sure you want to go there, David? Didn't stop there. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah? Uriah was one of David's other mighty men. Uriah was one of... So that is... She's married. She's married to one of your mighty men who's out in the battle. She's married to... And, and, and that is also the daughter of one of your other mighty men. And when he said, the daughter of Eliam, when you read David's mighty men, you will see Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. Well, who was Ahithophel? Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor, the one who had stood by him, giving him counsel. David, you sure you want to go there? This is Ahithophel's granddaughter. This is Eliam's daughter, and this is Uriah's wife. You sure you want to go there, David? To show you what can happen to a man when he starts exerting power and starts feeling that he's in a position of power, he says, call her to me. They bring her in to David, and it says, David sent messengers and took her. And when she had come to him, he lay with her. It doesn't say she lay with him. It says he lay with her. She didn't seduce him. She didn't come on to him. You cannot resist the king. It is like a president coming on to one of his staff members who's way below him. There is such a differential of power. And it's much more than a president. This is a king who could just speak a word and somebody can be killed. This is a king with just a regular woman and he brings her into his house at night and he lay with her. This is a rape. This is what is called rape. This is not her coming on to him. This is such a differential of power, you can only call it rape. This poor woman was raped and then he just sends her back to her house. And then she becomes pregnant knowing that the penalty in Israel for pregnancy because her husband is away at battle. He could not have impregnated her. That she is going to be stoned to death. She's going to be killed. So she sends a message to him. I'm pregnant. So David gets in even more trouble by killing Uriah. So, so that it, 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 it covered this whole thing up. But I want to focus today on Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a woman who had been raped. So if we go back to Matthew chapter 1. If we go back to Matthew chapter 1, now you've got, so we've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, now Bathsheba, a woman who had been raped. Every one of these women, and then the last woman to be mentioned in this whole line is Mary. Ultimately, you get down and, and, and uh, 16, yes, there it is. So Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. What about Mary? Well, Mary was perceived to have committed adultery. Because you look in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. She was with child. They had never been together yet. Joseph, he doesn't know yet. An angel's about to speak to him in a dream. But he doesn't know it yet. So he sees that she's pregnant. Imagine you're engaged to a woman, you've never had relations, and all of a sudden she becomes pregnant. Imagine what that will do to you. Well, look at what righteousness does. It says, Joseph, being a righteous man, 
Joseph, being a, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He wanted to send her off to a place where people wouldn't start seeing her tummy grow. This is how righteous a man he was. Joseph, being a righteous man, look at what righteousness does. Righteousness covers another person's faults. That's what righteousness does. Righteousness covers for the other. He could have had her stoned to death. He could have had her disgrace, saying, look at her. Look at this woman. That wasn't even in his mind. The angel hadn't yet spoken to him that this was something that was done by God. Even before that, he being a righteous man, wants to cover for his wife. Righteousness in a husband wants to protect the wife, to cover her, to keep her from embarrassment. But the topic at hand is every one of these women had some sort of sexual disorder or some sort of history of sexual disorder in their life. They are the only women mentioned. There is not a good woman among them. Not one. Every one of them. What do you think God might be telling us about the way He cares about people? What the world views as ultimately the worst. Oh, how could you have done that? How, you, how could you be a prostitute and, and, and start seeking Jesus? I mean, how could this happen? He takes these very women and he puts them up before us. And he says, it's only these women am I going to mention. And not only does he mention them in the Bible, he puts them in the lineage of the birth of his son. He is not disgraced by taking these women and putting them in the lineage of the birth of his son. Do you see how radical thought this is, especially for the first generation? Especially for, for, for uh, uh, the first generation A.D. to be saying this? It's absolutely unheard of. Even today it's unheard of. But back then especially so. What might he be trying to tell us? What might he be trying to demonstrate? The forgiveness of God. He has particular blessing upon those with sexual disorder. The thing that the world would want to, to, to exclude. The thing that the church would say, oh. he says, no, I want them in the lineage of my son. This is how much he extends his hand. He loves us. He's given himself for us. And he lists these people. He lists these women in the line of his son. And next week we will look at other women. The way Jesus treated other women in the Bible in the New Testament, with sexual disorder. How he called them out specifically to be a blessing. How he healed them. How he blessed them. This is who our God is. It is not just manifest in Jesus Christ. This was done starting with Rahab in the Old Testament. He starts demonstrating this right in the line of the Messiah. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, if there be young women here that have been raped, that have been sexually abused, that have been sexually active, Father, that You would free them from this shame. Father, that You would draw them close to Yourself. Father, if they've been abused by, in, in incest or in any way by family members, Father, I pray that You would so teach them how much you love them, how you call them out 
specifically for your name. How you are not embarrassed to be associated with them. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon them. That you would restore in them what the world has tried to take. Father, that you would provide good for them. And even as through each one of these women, you brought a blessing to the world in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd use each of the women here that have been so abused or come from a home of abuse, that you would use them in a special way in the body of Christ. Father, thank you for your mercy, your great mercy, which you demonstrate over and over again. Father, I pray that you draw them close to Jesus, that they would feel all the more welcomed in your presence. And Father, I pray for those women here who do not know you. Father, I pray that this very day they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. And that they would walk in the true understanding that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And Father, I pray for young men. I pray for the young men here that are also struggling with sexual sin. That you would show them how much you love them. How much you are not afraid to be associated with them. And that you would call them into a place of repentance. And you would so protect them. Father, I pray that you draw them to yourself. Father, if there be young men here who have forced young women into sex with them. Father, I pray that you draw them into a place of repentance and that you would rebuild their lives. Father, I pray for your grace, your grace to abound, that the grace of God would abound, that those men would apologize for what they have done and repent for what they have done. Father, I pray that you draw them to a place of repentance and that you restore their lives. The grace of God be there, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.